<laughs> right. Okay, we'll uh, now touch a, a little upon uh, Noah, the deluge, the flood. Again, which you know, which child, whether he attended uh, any form of religious school, even if he just went to uh, ordinary secular school, he probably heard about Noah and the ark, and if you went to Broadway, you would see, who was that fellow, uh, Danny Kay, right? I mean, you know, so it's really popular. It's really popular. So, we re- we have the story in, uh, in Pashat Noah, and we'll begin again to understand what this was all about. Was it, was it a story? Was Danny Kay really right? And that's all there is to it? Or uh, or there is a kind of a cosmic message there? Because the old rule, no matter what the rabbi says in the congregation or temple, what does that flood do for me today? Other than telling me, be a good boy, because it can happen to you. But then again, I know it won't ever happen again, because the Bible itself promised... Noah, that he would never again bring the flood. So, what does the flood and the boat, other than being entertaining, and I'm not going to, you know, kind of put down Danny Kay with, with his production, but is there maybe something more we can draw out from, you know, Pashat Noah? A little more. So, we begin with Rabkhiya uh, Patach. Rabkhiya, one of the... Uh, students of uh, Rabbi Shimon, and he quotes the verse in uh, Isaiah. It's a verse that says, I'm not sure if I'm in total agreement, but it looks like maybe all Jews are righteous people. <laughs> okay. And uh, and they're going to inherit the earth, right? And all good things. And then the Zohar continues in his own style, in in elaboration of this particular verse, by saying, Here we're kind of almost touching on a a religious scene. You see, if you begin to study the Torah, you will, and you follow the ways of the Torah, then you're pretty sure that you're going to reach the world to come. Well, that's not exactly the way um, the Zohar thinks this is what the verse in Isaiah was all about. Tachazi, call Yisrael itlon chulkali al madati. All of Israel, before they even begin their their uh, their approach to the road, they've already inherited the world to come. 
my time, it began the Natrim Bitre Alma it Kayim Aleh. Because they fulfill the Brit. Now we can say it means just the aspect of circumcision. <laughs> or we can also mean a covenant. Because a covenant is mentioned throughout. And that Noah was called a tzaddik, a righteous person, because he fulfilled the covenant. The first aspect of the Zohar is immediately to tell us this, you know, this concept of Olam the world to come, we could all immediately question, was I there? I mean, let's assume I don't remember my prior incarnation. I have a problem. So how do I know there's a world to come? Because I'm told. But that's a funny rule because, especially if we're Jewish, you very rarely, you know, believe everything you hear. Right? <laughs> rarely. So just because we're told really isn't going to turn all of us on and believe that there's a world to come. But what we have already discussed in Bereshit, <laughs> that the world to come, in its interpretation by the general theme of of the rabbinate is the world to come and so you've got to be a good boy and from the Zohar's point of view he says everyone has the portion and wait a second how do we know he may become bad he may sin how does he immediately have that portion how is he immediately connected haven't we learned that the only one who will inherit that beautiful paradise of the world to come is those righteous people. And not everybody's going to be righteous. And therefore, his interpretation is, Al-Mada'ati, he's talking about the world of reality. And you know where the world of reality is? Right here. Not talking about after death. The world to come, I don't like the world to come. Olam Haba. Olam Haba. That comes. If it was really the future world, in Hebrew, for those of you familiar with Hebrew, the word should be Alma Datida. Future world. There's a word for future. And while most Israelis really don't know the Hebrew language despite the fact that they talk but they really don't know it because they never question the words that they even use if we study and that's what the Zohar is saying if we study the words the Hebrew words those Hebrew words then we will know that there is a word selah which means what? stone then we know there is a word called evan what does that mean? Stone. We need more than one word? 
One word's sufficient. Why do you need two? But we know the power of the alabet, and we know the power of words that consist of the alabet, that they each contain a very definitive and distinct thought, energy, intelligence. It's an energy to the extent that we have already learned from the Sefi Yitzira that the world was created, how? Through the alphabet. Can you imagine a letter Aleph, a letter Bet creates? It's inconceivable. I can draw a letter and I'm not going to create, let's say, uh, Bet. Bet was used. Bet was used to create what? Saturn. Come on now. I mean, let's be realistic. However, the Kabbalist explains away the bet producing Saturn because the bet in its shape and form contains that particular motion of energy a conglomerate of particular forms of energy that can produce a planet called Saturn. The world to come doesn't mean the future world. Doesn't mean tomorrow. It is the world that is here, but you never really get to it. You know how many times we plan something in work? You're supposed to do it now. You're supposed to get rid of it. Deal with it. And for whatever reason, we push it off. Is it future work? Work of now. Work that has come to me. But what did I do with it? How did I deal with it? I pushed it away, right? I set it aside. But it's not future work. It's work that came to me. And what do I do with it? I put it aside. I don't deal with it. That's the word haba, olam haba, olam from the word helen, that invisible, that world that exists beyond the five senses, but is really the reality of existence that we continue to push aside. We don't deal with it. That's all of Mabah, says the Zohar. Therefore, we all have a portion in that. The fact that we are alive, we are connected. But there is no guarantee that you are connected in a sense that you are conscious of its existence. There's a letter to be opened up. You look at the envelope, you know where it's coming from. You know that it's got a message for you. But you don't want to deal with it now. Are you connected with the letter? Yes and no. Yes and no. Yes in a sense that I touch it, I feel it. I know where it's coming from. I know where it's coming from. And yet, I don't deal with it. So when the Zohar says, praiseworthy are those who are dealing with the Torah, dealing doesn't say the word incidentally, study. Even in Hebrew, osik b'Torah. Doesn't say he studies Torah. 
He deals with Torah. He deals with Torah. What a corruption. We all are under the impression we've got to uh, study Torah. You can study Torah like you can do the Amidah day in and day out and never be connected with the physical words that have been expressed. No connection. It's come to you. It's even become part of you. You speak it. But insofar as your consciousness about it is concerned, it's as if it doesn't exist. So you have to deal with it. The word is deal with it. Lasuk betorah. Why lasuk betorah? Because that's in that Torah is where we're dealing with those things that we are generally not conscious of. And because we are not conscious of, what does the physicist say? See this chair? I mean, he's insane. He belongs really with a guy who we think really belongs on the outside. The physicist says, you see this chair? As long as I don't look at it, and I don't see it, and I don't perceive this chair, it does not exist. I mean, isn't that ridiculous? You're all looking at this chair now, and I'm not. The chair doesn't exist. Now, we're not here to study physics. But, what the physicist doesn't even understand when he repeats those kind of insane statements is that when you don't deal with something, like the letter, you don't deal with it, there is no connection. You can touch it, you can know where it came from, but if you didn't open up and make that total connection, it doesn't exist. If you never open up that letter, that letter for all intents and purposes, for me, did not exist. For the one who opens it up, it does exist. So it's not so difficult to understand that when you don't deal with things, when you don't deal with things, they really don't exist. So it is the lack within ourselves that we are not dealing with reality. Therefore, when the, when the Zohar says, and in Pashat Noah, we don't even know yet, I mean like, why is he discussing it, you know, this radical concept here, explaining away all physics in one or two sentences, you imagine? We, we're covering the area that takes at least 20 years. And then, as I'm <coughs> writing now, <coughs> if you have, if you have five minutes to waste, and I really say five minutes <coughs> to waste, pick up any book on physics. You will always find the same thing. At the end of the chapter, it will say, we believe and we speculate. Always. You will never find a chapter without a conclusion, we believe and we speculate. So I finally come out and declared that those physicists are Orthodox Jews. <laughs> they believe. They don't know. They believe. Right? It's like the Jews on Mount Sinai, the corruption. Nasev right? Oh, what beautiful Jews, right? You, you all know that lecture. They were on Mount Sinai, and there was Hashem, and he said, take the Torah, and they didn't even want to hear what it contains, right? They said, of course we accept a corruption, a corruption of the interpretation. 
Jews. That's why Hashem had to tell the Jews, look, get into that pit. I just, you know, bent over the mountain. And if you don't accept the Torah, I'm going to cover the mountain over you and that's where you're going to die. So he forced them into it and suddenly the, some rabbis are coming around with a corruption of that verse, Nasa Benishma. Look how obedient. I haven't even found the Jew yet that is so obedient. But I'm supposed to believe a tale of Nasa Benishma meaning obedience. There's no such Jew. And certainly not those Jews. We, we were What's that? We were threatened. Oh, yeah. He bent it over like a pen, you know, a cracker. Two sides, right? And all the Jews went in there and had hole. And he said, if you don't take the Torah, bingo. You're all gone. What's that? Now we have another problem. There's no coercion in spirituality, right? Beautiful question, which is not what I want to address myself to. Because that is discussed, that is discussed in the, in the lectures, in the beginning lectures. Is that right? Right? That, that's this guy. So the physicist says, I believe, I accept things that he doesn't even understand. We are not, we are not going to accept anything that we do not understand. Therefore, the Zohar says, He must have been a radical in his days because he says, you have to know the ways of the Torah. It doesn't say you have to fulfill the ways of the Torah. Be obedient. He says you have to know because the beginning. Because it's the only way you're going to make connection. And so. 20 years ago. I wouldn't have dared to tell those people. Who attend. A temple. Or a synagogue. If you don't know what you're doing. You're wasting your time because you're not connecting. It's a total waste of time because the Zohar says you must know. And of course, for that Orthodox Jew who puts on tefillin, the last verse, V'yadat et Hashem, it says, V'yadasakli be'emunah, V'yadat et Hashem. You have to know because it's the only way you can make your connection. Therefore, we're all connected. But that doesn't mean we are all conscious of our connection. We could be touching it. We could be feeling it. But it doesn't mean I'm connected with it. I can drive down that road, do a hundred miles on the highway. And after an hour and a half, wake up and say, how did I get here? And mind you, I drive in that car maybe 90 miles an hour. And yet I'm in total control and was totally oblivious of what was going on. How is that possible? It is. In other words, when he he referred to this introduction to Pashat Noah, the Zohar realized that when he himself is of the opinion that we can't accept 
Danny Kaye's interpretation of the flood. And therefore, we have to delve into the internal inner meaning of what's really going on. He realized that we must have this kind of introduction. And he proceeds on to say that Noah was a tzaddik. What does a tzaddik mean? A righteous person. What is a righteous person? He's right all the time. Is that a righteous person? He's a tzaddik. He never does wrong. That must be a righteous person. But I'm going to throw at you two contradictions. Number one, the Gemara, the Talmud. I'm not even sure it's quoted in the Zohar. But for the Talmudists, it says that ain't tzaddik ba'aretz there is no righteous person in the world that only does good but that he also should not sin. So what is a righteous person? Why do we refer to him as a righteous person? Furthermore, being right or wrong the Gemara, and including the Zohar, says that whenever there's a quarrel between two sages, let's say, Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel, Elu ve'elu divrei elakim chayim. They're both right. They're both right. And the Zohar says, how could they be both right? Isn't there one reality? Either yes or no. But how could it be both Yes and no. And the Zohar goes on to reveal what Quanta revealed only the last couple of years. That it depends upon where you're coming from. Imagine 2,000 years ago, the Zohar raised this question about Bet Shammai and Bet Elil. How could they both be right? One says Asur on a particular question that was raised in Halakha, what the law was. And usually Bet Shammai said, Asur, he was the one who was kind of rough on the people. He was hard, always said, this is not permitted, that is not permitted. And contrarily, Hillel, but yet generally say Mutar, permitted, more lenient. And the Talmud, along with the Zohar, says they're both right. How could they both be right? That's the Zohar's question. Although physicists today say, sure, for one, the chair exists, the other one, the chair does not exist. Are they both right? Yes. How do you explain it away? <coughs> that was the Zohar's question 2,000 years ago. Look at this great revelation. He didn't even get a Nobel Prize for it. <laughs> right? <laughs> and he answers very simply. See, Bet Shammai Bet Shammai came from Kaf Smol. His internal characteristic, his neshama, his soul, stemmed from a left column internal integrated computer. He didn't use the word computer. Left column means what? Negativity. Like the electron. Like the Jew. 
Always traveling around. You ever see a Jew? You see all the movies about the Jews. They're always going with a package. You ever see a Jew without a package? He's always on the go. Always carrying something. Can't he walk around without carrying something? But he's always ready to go somewhere else. So he needs a package. That might be all he has. He's always moving. <coughs> That's the problem. He's always moving. Right? <coughs> That's negativity like the electron. Never ceases to move. Why? Because it has an internal characteristic known in Kabbalistic terms as Ratzol the Kabel, the desire to receive. <coughs> Hillel, on the other side, the reason that he was so lenient, because he came from Kavyamin, the sharing aspect. When do you generally share? When you have something to give away. And by coincidence, Bet Shammai was the wealthy one, and Bet Hillel was the poor fellow. Never had what to eat. He's the one you heard about the stories. He didn't have money to pay the tuition. And so he went up on the skylight and then it started snowing. And all of a sudden, you know, they used to have their light by the skylight. And it suddenly became dark. And they would go upstairs and there he was, you know. The story. He was a poor man. And what, 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 a, what a, a paradox. The poor man is lenient. He's from Kavyamin, says the Zohar. He was a sharing. His internal energy, thought, intelligence was constantly of a sharing characteristic, as opposed to Bet Shammai, maybe because he had too much money. Then why did he need so much more? But he was with within this frame of reference known as Ratzon the Kabel, desire to receive negativity. They were both tzaddikim. But they both came from another frame of reference. Therefore, declares the Zohar, because each one, each one, saw as an observer, as an observer, through his own, not only eyes, not only eyes, but through his whole mental and internal soul process, everything he observed, from within that frame of reference, left column, desire to receive. Hillel, coming from a right column attitude, characteristic, was more lenient, etc. So in other words, both of them, both of them were correct. Why? Because each one established, according to the Zohar, that man establishes that which is, you see the chair, the chair exists. You don't see the chair, it doesn't exist. The same principle. You are negative, everything around you is negative because you establish that magnetic field all around you. And that magnetic field can extend even all the way to Hong Kong. We even have people calling us from Hong Kong in the middle of the learning session, right? Connection, they're hungry, they want to connect. I can't blame But, right? Quanta. Everything is connected. When we say everything is connected, it means that I touch everything. Now the question is, do I want temporary relief or do I want the whole relief? All in the mind. Depends where you're coming from. Everything depends on where you're coming from. So Bechamay came from Kaf Small, from that left column of negativity. That's the way he judged. 
That's the way he issued decrees. From his frame of reference, the way his internal soul composite saw things, understood things. So this idea of relativity, everything is relative. It depends on the individual. Therefore it says, You can never judge another individual. Why can't you judge him? I know better. I'm the rabbi. <coughs> I'm the rabbi. But therefore it says, Ain't sadik ba'aretz. There is no such thing as a righteous person in this physical, corporeal world who does good in a general sense. By and large, the majority of the time he does good, but that he should not sin. Because in that, what is he here for? There must be a purpose. He must come to the test. He must come to the opportunity that he can elevate himself without an ele- without an opportunity of elevating oneself. So he has to have that test. <coughs> this is what the tzaddik is, a right, is about. Righteous does not mean he's always right. Because you could be wrong. But if you're connected with what? With what? If you connect with yourself, you know yourself, then you don't judge others. Why? Because I know me, I know why. If I'm a if I'm an ass sign, I want to run. If you're a shore, <coughs> disappeared on me. Where is it? Oh, no, but the other one, the other oh, all around. I just want to be sure I had the support. Right? <laughs> <coughs> but I lost one. I lost Chaim. Did I lose Chaim? Chaim is here. Chaim is there too. But if you're a Taurus, don't you know? Don't take, don't take the you know the ground from under me, right? Or if you're, let's say, other signs, right? Everyone has his particular and peculiar composite of a computer. And everybody works in his frame of mind. So who am I of another frame to tell somebody else what he's doing is right or wrong? Unless, unless I can become that other individual. Unless I can become that other individual. Be that other individual. Feel what that other individual feels. Understand as that other individual understands. Other than that, how can I judge? Bet Shammai did not agree with Bet because they both came from two different spaces. So how can I judge another person if I'm in one frame of reference and he's in another? That is a tzaddik. So the tzaddik is not always the one who is right, but if he's connected with himself, he understands himself. He's not touching himself. He's not touching the letter. Who's not connected to himself? I mean, it's almost a physical <laughs> impossibility not to be connected to ourselves. I mean, <coughs> here I am. I am and I exist. So I'm not connected. You can ride down that road at 90 miles an hour recklessly. And yet you have everything under control and not realize that you travel for an hour. Are we in control? Are we connected to ourselves? There are times, like in the Amida. <laughs> That's the perfect place to be disconnected. That's the place, the Shemona Esrei, the most important part of the prayer. 
You could be in a thousand other places. And you can rattle off all the words. And you're not even there. What a phenomena. That can only happen by man. An animal doesn't go through a trip like that. He has total consciousness. We're not even as good as an animal. That's not true. These other aspects are only are necessary because if he didn't have these various opportunities, he couldn't grow. He couldn't develop. Problems are not problems. Yes, they could be problems. And they could also be opportunities. Depends how you look at it. Everything. Everything in this universe could be good for one and bad for another. Depends on how we observe. Depends if we're in touch with things. Depends if we're touching the envelope or we read the envelope. We're connected with the envelope. So we may not be connected with ourselves. When the Torah calls someone like Noah a tzaddik, it was because he was connected with himself. He was connected with himself. By virtue of being connected with himself, that is called a tzaddik. Therefore, you could sin because he couldn't. That was a, it was a, a rough opportunity. He tried to deal with it and he failed. Failing is not a sign of not being righteous. Because righteous is being conscious of everything that's going on. But in this universe, within us, there is another force. The reason we have two hands. Why the two hands, not one? To indicate that there's a right and there's a left to us. Therefore, every part of our body is divided into two. Every part of our body is divided into two parts, right and left. Because it depends on us alone. There is no inbuilt, like in the bulb, inbuilt structure that makes balance between right and left. Man. Man is the only living entity that has right and left, but it's totally left to his discretion in creating balance. He can either create an overcharge or too little. It all depends on himself. If he's connected, he will create the balance. That Sadiq is always conscious. That doesn't mean because he's always conscious that he can't fail. But you say if he was conscious all the time, how did he fail? If he was conscious, how did he fail? The answer is, he's conscious of both the right and he's totally conscious of the left. Now, by circumstances beyond his control. Could there be anything beyond his control? There can be. Weather conditions. Comes a season. There's no winter season. How do you control that? For the tzaddik to say, but I've got to have my season. If I don't have a winter season, the guzzle gets stuck. Right? So let it be cold. 
But the tzaddik cannot do that because in essence he is not connected with himself because himself is part of everything, as Quanta says. And therefore, by asking for it to be called at the same time, he is now doing what to others? It's like the judgment of others. He is interfering with someone else's tikkun. Someone else maybe needs, for whatever reason, one other person in the world. And there is, unfortunately, one other person beside me. If there was nobody else but me, there would never be a problem, right? It's only because there is one other person. So the tzaddik recognizes this condition at all times. So it's not a question that the tzaddik is is right all the time, and it does not mean that the tzaddik cannot give one form of opinion like Bet Shami or Bet, or Bet Hillel, and it means he's wrong. Now why and what does all this have to do with Noah? Now while obviously time will not permit, and how much time do we have left? Eight minutes. Eight minutes. Sorry. What's that? Yeah, we have some. I'm gone since 2.30. The, the relationship between this introduction to Pashat Noah, which, of course, superficially, the connection between the introduction of the Zohar to Pashat Noah is because Noah was called a tzaddik. And therefore, he wants to uh, provide us with a thorough and full explanation of what Noah was about. If that's all that it was about, then who needs the boat? Noah, come on. If he's such a tzaddik, he has total control. Like we asked, Joshua couldn't defeat the enemy if he didn't put a stop to the sun. But therein is going to lie our answer. Noah needed the boat? Right? The Zohar asked a question. Imagine the Zohar asked such a question. Why the boat? I'm going to disappoint you. And tell you there was no boat. There was no boat. But the Torah says boat. Right? But you remember we just got through saying? The Zohar says, in Pashat Palotka, if we are going to treat the Torah, as I love those Bible story books of the, of the Reformed Temple and of the Orthodox Temple and of the Conservative Temple, the Bible stories, which fortunately today are totally out of style for most young people today. What's that? Teva, right. It should have said, oh, you must know Hebrew, but you didn't pick it up. I'm telling you, what's the word for boat? Teva. Teva? Ania. Ain mila ania. <laughs> in other words it doesn't mean a boat it means an ark what's an ark what's an ark who produced this word the word is teva box 
box. Different sizes in boxes, so the Torah goes on to tell us the size of his box. The size of his box, he was an architect, a good one probably, and he was a good general contractor, right? All of these things fit into the story of Noah, and that's what we're going to learn. What do we learn from that story? You want me to tell you what we learn from that story? Zero. If that's all we're going to talk about, is that he was a great architect, he was a great general contractor. Is that all it's about? The Zohar says, if that's the way you treat the Torah, you're a fool. Rabbi Shimon says that. I, I, you know, I just couldn't have the guts to, <laughs> to say something like that. But that's what he says. And he says, Teva means Malchut. It means the thought, energy, intelligence. Wow. What is he talking about? Can you be saved by a thought? How does anybody save themselves? They just save themselves or they figure out how to get out of it? Usually there is some thought. I guess most of us really should always think how we extricate ourselves. How do you extricate yourself from a problem? By extricating yourself or you think about how you're going to get out? Thought. Everything is thought. The chair. I think chair. Chair is there. Don't think chair. It's not there. So the Zohar says teva means malchut. And I'll leave you a little in suspension and tell you that he created the first security shield of thought, energy, intelligence. There was no ark. There was no wood. The dimensions do not mean it's over. The dimensions have nothing to do with the physical ark. The security shield. Have you seen Star Wars? Then you know what I'm talking about. If you don't go see that movie, you don't know what I'm talking about. The security shields, right? Couldn't re- what the force fields? What are you talking about? That's what he was talking about. That's right. He just created. Like we all have a magnetic field around us. Who sees it? Was there water? Was the flood real water? Of course not. Of course not. When there is a flood, the water is beautiful, like a big Indian. And it could be a horror. Ever try going to the mikvah in Tel Aviv when they got waves like 30 feet high, but they come in in Tel Aviv, they come in 30 feet high right at the, at the shore. It's a, it's a, it's a dreadful feeling. You know, like you're gonna sink, you're gonna disappear, right? Water has, has a power. You know, it's not gonna overcome you. But if you know that water is, just going to envelop you. It's all in the mind, right? The teva was not a physical teva, says the Zohar. Those dimensions, the dimensions, which time does not permit, dealt with the knowledge that, that Noah had. And those were the codes. Those are the codes by which you and I today, if you've got somebody you want to be protected from, there is your lesson. Someone coming at you, and I don't mean even someone coming at you with a gun. That's for Shalom. Reminds me of the story when my wife, who sometimes travels fast, 
was going at 110 miles an hour down the Palisades Parkway. All of a sudden, six police cars, and they're all going like that. And she pulls over. And they all come over and say, did you see anybody pass by here just now? She says, yeah, he's already gone. <laughs> I mean, they were right in back of us all the time. You know, I'm not, this is not a miracle. It's happened to all of us. He didn't see. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. Suddenly, for whatever reason, a security shield envelops an individual the same way as a field of magnetics around an individual. Okay.